Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, today is the last Saturday of the month. It's also the last Saturday of the year. And you know what we do on the last Saturday of the month. We answer your questions. So today will be the last Q&A week here on New Southern Garden for the year 2023. I hope that you're all looking forward to a great new year. 2024 is just around the corner, a couple of sleeps away. And that means that we have a new opportunity in a lot of areas of our lives. You know, we always tend to think of the new year as being a time for change, for resolution, right? And I think that we ought to consider some changes, some new, try some new things, do some different things in our gardens, in our landscapes. Because, of course, after the new year, we've got a few months of cold weather, but then we'll have that warm weather coming in as spring approaches, and we'll get that spring fever, and we'll want to be outside, we'll want to do things in our landscape, and I hope you still want to do some things in your landscape, because we've got great questions today. We appreciate all of you who have sent in questions, whether it's at NewSouthernGarden.com on the website or whether you are our social media friends and followers on Facebook and Instagram. It's a great way to send pictures to us or videos if you want to send us a message there. Because sometimes when you're trying to describe a problem in your landscape, it's, it's very helpful to have a picture at least, maybe even a video. Uh, but we do appreciate your questions. We appreciate all the folks who have sent us questions in 2023 can't believe it's gone by so quickly. It does seem like we were just starting out this year talking about gardening things and have done so for 52 weeks, I guess. <laughs> so with that being said, of course, we're looking forward to answering your questions. I do want to tell you, give you a little update on what's going on in my landscape and garden at the house. Oh, let's see. Still working on raised beds. I've got the four of them built. I hope to at least double that number over some time. I think we'll start with four, maybe build a couple more. We've added some great media into the raised beds as far as growing media goes. It's a local product made here in um, northeast Georgia, in Gainesville, actually. It's from the Georgia Soil Company, and they have a great organic compost. They also make a variety of products with locally sourced materials and, of course, their organic organic certified compost it's got an omri certification which of course uh, gives it that ability to be marketed as organic and it's a light weight soil mainly made of organic matter of course it drains well it's got large particles of organic matter including some pine bark and wood shavings that have been composted but it's rich with fertility and that's exactly what your vegetables need because they need to be productive they need to be growing and so we'll see. 
Of course, I've used it in some small projects, but really not quite extensively as the main growing media for my plants, except here in these raised beds. So we'll see how that goes this year. But so far, we've had great success with this product in containers. And, you know, wh whether you're here in northeast Georgia, or maybe you're listening online somewhere else, try to find those local distributors or manufacturers uh, of, of these products that you can use in your landscape. Because... You know, for many years we've been using peat moss, which of course is bogged out of particularly England and Canada, and peat moss is something that's not going to be enduring. We're going to run out of it. As a matter of fact, I know in England they've been backing off on the mining of peat moss because they're trying to save what peat bogs they have left. Peat is very much like fossil fuels, and the fact that it has been, at least we're told, that it has been uh, this slow process of decomposition from prehistoric plant life, and there won't be much of it left if we continue to use it. So a lot of your local uh, manufacturers of soils and compost and whatnot should pro are probably using locally sourced renewable materials, things that may be tree-based, bark-based, and of course we can grow trees, we can regrow bark and harvest it, whereas peat, once you harvest it, it it takes a very long time. It takes a very long time to get it back. So I do like the idea of using materials that are renewable and materials that are not necessarily going to run out. They can be grown and cultivated and uh, used for many years to come in sort of a production sense. Uh, so we've got that going on, the raised beds at, in, in the garden. And then we also are seeing some blooms on the Lenten rose or the hellebores. You know, we, I talk a lot about hellebores. I think I'll actually mention them today with one of these questions we're going to answer. But the hellebore, of course, is a great kind of ground cover plant. They really don't get any taller than 24 inches, and that's where the bloom spike. Uh, really, the height just comes from that bloom. But they're just starting to push through the soil, and I'm seeing some colorful buds, reds, pinks, and whites, they do come in a wide range of glorious colors from darks to lights, and you can use them very versatile. They do not mind shade at all, so ours are growing right up against a shady part of the house uh, along a pathway as you come into the house, and they really are going to start brightening up that space as they start blooming over winter. And, of course, they, they really will bloom. You, are, you may or may not have some starting to bloom, but the ones I have are hybrids. They do seem to be very vigorous and they will probably continue to bloom until we get into February March uh, they're really just starting but I love to see them because that does mean that winter is really here whether the calendar says so or not <laughs> it does mean that winter is here because they do generally bloom late winter but golly we've had some great weather as far as warmth and of course we go through some cold periods we've been kind of chilly uh, maybe touch of freezes here and there this week but but really it's been nice we had some good rain this this week and nice slow rain on Christmas day uh, I was telling my dad I said I think that I, I remember more Christmases here in the south where it's been rainy than a nice pretty day I don't know. It does make it a little dreary. Of course, it would be nice to have a little bit of snow. I remember one year at Christmas, we had just a flurry of snow. It wasn't really a white Christmas, but we still had some snow that one year that I remember. 
Uh, so with that being said, the hellebores are pushing up. Of course, evergreen plants like arborvitaes and hollies, they're looking outstanding. Surprisingly, well, not really surprisingly, but there is one shrub in my landscape that usually we do have blooms through Thanksgiving and sometimes on Christmas. And this year we did have some on Christmas, and that is the um, the viburnum. This is a Chinese snowball viburnum. I like to call it the everbloom viburnum because they do bloom heavily in the spring, but if you deadhead those flowers, they'll continue to bloom throughout spring and summer into fall, and more years than not, we've had blossoms on them on Christmas, and that happened again this year. Just a lovely thing to, to have blooming on Christmas, these pure white blossoms. Of course, it's not a, a heavy blooming, maybe two or three blossoms, but still, they're blooms. And a few of my Achillea, or the yarrow. I do love the yarrow, the great pollinator plant. Most of them have already finished, but many of them were blooming through Thanksgiving, and I think there's just one plant left that still has some blossoms. Yes, we've had freezes. They've powered through that. We've had frost, powered through that, no problem, uh, seems like, but I think this is about it. They're going to be going to sleep for the rest of the year. I don't know that we'll lose their foliage, their upright fern-like foliage is still looking really good. The only trouble that I have right now with those yarrow is that the deer are nibbling on them. Now, they're not decimating them. They're not destroying them. And usually, yarrow is touted, or achillea is touted as a deer-resistant plant because they do have a, an unusual and interesting odor. And that odor, of course, should repel them. But I'm afraid to say that it doesn't seem to be. Of course, maybe they find it more tasty than some of the other things that are green this time of year. Um, but otherwise, their foliage, what hasn't been chewed on by the deer, is still there and still looking good. So with that being said, that's mainly about it. I am working on constructing some new borders, uh, particularly flower borders, including some shrubbery in these borders. There'll be a border that follows along our raised beds so we can attract some pollinators. Mainly it'll be perennials. We'll probably dot a few annuals in there come spring, but I will have some upright yews, or rather they're podocarpus. They look like yew, but not really yews. Uh, and these podocarpus will give us some height. They're very narrow, only two or three feet wide at their maturity. And of course, course, their height could be um, 8, 10, 12, maybe 15 feet. It just depends on how long they're going to be growing in that space, but they'll be upright and narrow, give us some height, some vertical, and of course, they're evergreen. So those shrubs, or sort of pencil-shaped trees, I guess, <laughs> they will give us some evergreenness and some structure, and then around them, I do have, I've been growing some foxgloves from seed. I love foxgloves, and I'm going to try to do foxgloves right. Usually, I just plant three or four, and they don't really put on a great show, but uh, the last I counted, I'll have uh, over 120 foxgloves planted along the border of our vegetable garden. I think that'll help to bring in pollinators. We'll put some other things in there, maybe some more Achilleas and daisies and whatnot to give us some vibrant colors and um, maybe cat mints. Haven't really planned it all out yet. I've just been thinking about the foxgloves. Kind of foxglove exclusive right now. But of course, foxglove is a great perennial that you will be able to plant now or through winter if you can find them. Uh, they are a biennial plant, which a biennial plant just means it takes two years for them to set their flowers. So I took foxglove seed this summer 
planted them, sowed them out into small containers, allowed them to grow because the first year they're going to be growing their leaves. And these plants now are very mature as far as their leaves go. So I'll plant them over winter. I will let them root in and they'll develop a strong root system so that when spring, really late spring and summer come, these foxgloves will be sending up a flower spike. So if you want to work with foxgloves and maybe you can't find them locally, I rarely have never seen them in a box store uh, garden center and won't name any names but the local plant nurseries and garden centers are surely to have them um, but if you can't find them you can easily grow them from seed i will say that their seed is very very tiny it's just like a fine powder or dust almost so you will have to sow a lot of tiny seed and then thin them out but if you started them in the spring, it's too late now, if you start them in the spring, then they will bloom the next spring. That's why I like to think of growing foxgloves from seed in the summer, and then they're blooming by the time we get into the next spring summer. So they do take a full season's growth or so, as long as you can get them growing in one year, just expect them to bloom the next year. Oh, I love foxglove. Now, deer should not eat those, of course. Digitalis is the name for foxglove, botanically speaking, and digitalis is uh, toxic. Uh, of course, they have toxic compounds, and of course, they use digitalis in the medicinal world. Digoxin, digoxin, I think is how you pronounce it. But of course, that uh, helps with heart problems. I'm not a doctor, so I do not know what all it does. But I do know that if you ingest enough of the foxglove, it could harm you. Uh, of course, touching it never given me any problems, but if you're consuming copious amounts of the leaves and copious amounts of the flowers and the seeds and the seed pods and the stems, yes, you will, you'll probably get a tummy ache just because you've eaten so many leaves, uh, but the deer usually stay away from them because of, cert of these certain uh, properties they have. So with that being said, I don't know what else to talk about in my garden or landscape. There is a lot going on. I have a lot of digging to do. I do have a lot of things to be keeping me busy, and I hope that you do as well. Well, I know that we are coming up on a break. I've talked too much about myself, but I do want to uh, at least start talking about Josh's question. Josh is here in Northeast Georgia, and he says that he is looking, he wants me to talk about ground covers and vines, particularly ground covers and vines that look good over winter and give us some good interest and intrigue, so we're probably talking about things that are going to be evergreen or have some kind of foliage or beautiful stems and whatnot. Um, so I do love vines and ground covers, Josh, and I'm glad that you brought them up. When we talk about vines and ground covers, of course, with winter interest, that evergreenness is really what's critical. Looking for things that are evergreen. And there are some native things that are evergreen vines and can be used as ground covers. So I always like that idea of using some native plants that are local to our region. So when we get back from this break, Josh, we will inform you on all things vines and ground covers that are spectacular in the wintertime. Hang on tight, King. We'll be right back. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we, we're having our last Q&A week of the year. Of course, that's where we go to the mailbag, the mailbox, the inbox, a message board, wherever you've sent your questions to us, whether it's NewSouthernGarden.com or on Facebook and Instagram, we are here to answer your questions. And before the break, we were talking about Josh's question. He's here in Northeast Georgia, and he's hoping to... F- talk for me to talk about some vines and ground covers that are going to in particular give him some good winter interest now we've talked about uh, these types of plants before but i think it's always a good time to revisit especially now that we are in the well i don't know if we're in the middle of winter but because we're in winter and going through it we can still include some of these wonderful plants in our landscapes. Of course, the idea of vines is that they grow vertically and give us some upright interest, some vertical interest. And then, of course, ground covers or utilizing vines as ground covers, they sprawl and spread across the ground, giving us that prostrate plant form, which literally means laying down. And that is going to provide us with some coverage. Of course, one of the most popular ground covers in America, and the Southeast for that matter, is lawn. You can grow lawn, and it's essentially a ground cover, right? But of course, lawns require a lot of mowing, a lot of maybe dethatching, if you've got a a running-type grass. And of course, they need a lot of fertilizer. They love fertilizer. They love nitrogen. Grasses in general are heavy feeders. So sometimes lawn takes a little more effort. Um, now with ground cover, other ground covers, we'll call them maybe horticultural ground covers or ornamental ground covers, regardless, uh, not looking at lawn at least, these plants are going to be things that aren't always the best to walk on, that aren't always the best to play football on. Uh, some of these plants are more delicate than lawn would be, than grasses are. And so we've got to keep that in mind, that if this is an area on a bank or a hill or a slope, you can surely utilize some other plants other than lawn. And because it's on a slope or hill, it doesn't require mowing. You don't have to be, oh, in that treacherous position of getting on a mower or pushing a mower up and down a bank. That's never fun. It's always dangerous. So one of my best vines, one of my favorite vines, uh, is a native vine. And this is called um, Carolina jessamine. Now, some people call it jasmine. It's not a true jasmine by any means. I've always understood it to be called jessamine, which is a strange word, I know. But much like jasmine, it can crawl and creep 20 feet each direction. It can go up a tree. It can go across a fence. It can go, of course, on a trellis or any kind of support you give it. And one of the beautiful things about Carolina jessamine, being a native, um, It is not too particular about where it grows or what it grows in. It can pretty much grow in any soils. Of course, most of our soils up here in northeast Georgia are quite clay soils. No problem there. It can handle sandy soil or or organic-y soils, rich, loamy soils, if you will. So that doesn't matter. And then as far as sun condition goes, it's great for sun or shade. It can grow in the shade. It can grow in the sun. I will mention that if it grows in the sun, it will produce more blooms. And that comes to the next attraction, the blossoms of 
Confederate, uh, sorry, of Carolina jessamine are very bell trumpet shaped. And they are quite large, probably between one to two inches, somewhere in that range, um, as far as their, their length goes. And they are usually a nice gold or yellow. And they bloom at the end of winter, the beginning of spring. They're one of the first vines to really start blooming. You may consider wisteria and other things. Of course, they, those don't keep their leaves, so they're not much winter interest. They are early bloomers, though. But for an evergreen vine that blooms with a copious amounts of flowers, uh, the Carolina jessamine is definitely a great choice. Now, they do bloom early, and they don't necessarily repeat bloom. Sometimes in the nursery industry, we may store them in a greenhouse for just space reasons, trying to put it somewhere where you have space. If you put it in a greenhouse, we usually get some more blooms throughout the year, but rarely in the landscape do you see Carolina jessamine reblooming. But I still think it's a wonderful plant with its uh, very long evergreen foliage. It's really attractive, and it does need a little bit of maintenance, a little bit of pruning if you're trying to maintain it on a structure. But if you don't mind how it creeps, crawls, and climbs, and it can go anywhere and everywhere, you're going to love it. We could consider it an an, uh, aggressive plant. It's not invasive because, of course, it is naturally found here. But it does grow, and it grows quickly. So if you need that coverage, think about Carolina jessamine. Now, let's talk about jasmine, a true jasmine, of course, that's Confederate jasmine. Now, Confederate, well, maybe it's not true jasmine, but it is in that group, (laughs) botanically speaking. Confederate jasmine is another great evergreen plant. It's not from here, but it does have very large round leaves that are very dark green. Sometimes those leaves will even discolor a bit over winter and give you sort of a purpley maroonish tone, which is really nice as well. The leaves stay on it unless... Unless you have a winter period like we did last year where we were down into the single digits for a few days in December, a lot of went, a lot of Confederate jasmine not only dropped their leaves, but they died to the ground. A lot of the stems died to the ground. We are probably some of the furthest north up here in the Northeast Georgia mountains, probably really the furthest north that this plant can grow and be considered a hardy plant. Otherwise, where winters are very cold, then the Confederate jasmine can be grown as an annual because they do grow quickly in one season. But the Confederate jasmine is a bit sensitive to cold, and some of the coldest temperatures we have may disfigure them, if you will, as far as dropping their leaves. But generally, they will come back from their root system uh, or from their stems, even if their leaves get burned back. Now, Confederate jasmine, just like Most of the other jasmines you're familiar with, they do have a summer blossom. They are a star-shaped trumpet, uh, so very long, great for hummingbirds because of that trumpet throat that the flowers have, and of course they're white, white flowers, but just like jasmine in general, they are very fragrant. So I like to use Confederate jasmine, you know, near a porch or a patio or over an arbor or trellis, somewhere where you will be walking and passing by, walking underneath it. Just like Carolina jasmine, Confederate jasmine can grow 25, 20 feet each direction. So you'll have to train it. You'll have to uh, keep it in check. Um, and make sure that if it's growing on something, it doesn't become top-heavy. That's one of the problems with vines, is as they grow vertically on a support, 
they tend to shade themselves out because once they've reached the top of the support, they just become this thick mass of leaves and stem. And sometimes that needs to be restrained so that we're not shading out the rest of the plant. So we still have some foliage down below towards the bottom of that trellis or whatever support it's growing on. So between those two, those are some great vines that grow vertically and have no problem growing vertically. Either one of these, Josh, could be grown along the ground. Um, I have seen the Carolina jessamine grown as more of a shrub. They get very wide, but then they start growing on top of themselves. Uh, we, we, I saw that a lot at University of Georgia in Athens when I was studying horticulture. Every day I had to walk to class from my parking lot, and in between was this planting of Carolina jessamine great native plant and of course UGA was promoting those things and they had a great big swath of these plants and you could tell that they were wild and they were rambling but they had no structure to grow on and if there's no structure for these vines to grow on they just mound up on top of themselves and of course give you a little bit of width but also give you height as they grow on themselves and that probably needs to be maintained and trimmed back every few years but not necessarily very regularly. Um, now, let's talk about some very low ground covers. Of course, vines can be used as ground covers, uh, but they'll be chunky. So what about some very low ground covers? Well, you know, at the beginning of the program, I did mention hellebore. And hellebore is great. It's versatile because, of course, they bloom in the winter. They have evergreen foliage. They look good all year. Uh, and they can grow in some of the shadiest sites you have. But it's it, we tend to think of it as just a shade plant, which is not really true. I would also encourage folks to use hellebore where we get maybe six to eight hours of morning sun and afternoon shade. Sometimes that's a hard situation to place plants in because, of course, many plants that need sun want sun all day long and don't mind the intensity of the afternoon. But hellebore, even though it can handle intense sun, it will respond with blackening its leaves. So make sure if you put hellebores in the sun that they get morning sun rather than afternoon sun. Give them afternoon shade. Well, when we get back, gang, I'll give you a few more of these wonderful ground covers um, for winter time. So hang on tight. We'll be right back with that and more of your questions. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's program. Of course, we're nearing the end of the year, and it maybe sends us up to a time or it makes us think of a time we need to start reflecting on what goals we had for 2023 and did we accomplish them? And maybe we should also make a list of priorities and goals for next year. Uh, we may talk more about that next week's program, but I will start off by saying that I didn't get as much done in 2023 as I'd hoped. I have a long list to check off, and I still feel like I'm behind. So maybe I need to make more manageable goals, maybe more reasonable goals, and not expect so much of myself, because of course, if you've got a full-time job, you're working, you got kids, you just can't get it all done. So hopefully this year, we're going to get a lot more done. 
but it's the joy of it. It's the joy of it. No matter how much we get done, it's always fun what we are doing and what we are getting done. So, of course, a new year's around, but this is the last week of the year, the last week of this month, and that means it's our last Q&A week. And before the break, we were talking about Josh's question about some great-looking vines and ground covers for winter. We talked about a few vines. We started talking about hellebores, and I do encourage you to use those hellebores as a ground cover. If you are getting a traditional hellebore that's not been uh, deeply hybridized um, and become sterile, then your hellebores will seed themselves and you'll have plenty of babies to spread around the landscape. And many times you're digging them up and giving them to friends or trying to get them to your local garden center or plant nursery because they are a, a plant that keeps on giving. And it's a wonderful problem to have, in my opinion. With something as beautiful as hellebore, I don't care if they spread from here to eternity because they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Now, an another great ground cover that is kind of overlooked is Anacorus. Anacorus, or I think they call it sweet flag, is a grass-like plant. And it's a great evergreen plant, too. There's one called Ogon, Ogon Acorus, or sweet flag, which is very vertical and upright, but short, maybe no bigger, taller than 18 inches. And they do look like an ornamental grass, but they can grow in conditions that ornamental grass cannot which would be in the shade. So from shade to sun, the Ogon Acorus is a wonderful plant. They don't run, they just clump. And every few years, you can divide those clumps and spread them out further around your landscape and around your garden. And I think they're a wonderful plant. They give you a bright yellow color if you go for that Ogon Acorus. And that bright chartreuse uh, or limey green, if it's in the shade, is going to help contrast with maybe some of the darker plants you have growing there. Now, there is a plant called cyclamen, which I love, and I've grown them from seed. I was really proud of this. Now, cyclamen, you will find them in the garden centers and box store garden centers. Um, I've seen some now over winter, and sometimes you'll see them again in the uh, around February when um, Valentine's Day arrives because they have these nice Valentine color blossoms, and they're nearly heart-shaped, the blossoms themselves on the cyclamen. Now, these cyclamen that you see in the box stores and garden centers just confirm that they are a tropical and not hardy cyclamen because not all of the cyclamens can grow in our outdoor conditions all year long. But there is a cyclamen called heterofolium, cyclamen heterofolium, which is very small, very cute. It just creeps along the ground. One of the interesting things about them is that you don't even know they're there in the summer. As it starts to get warm, their leaves start to die back and they retreat underground into these sort of bulb-like structures, uh, which uh, they're just dormant. They're just hibernating for the summer. They don't really love the summertime weather. But then in the fall, they start putting out their blossoms and they start putting out their leaves. And their leaves are fairly heart-shaped. Um, the heterofolium sort of looks like it kind of gets its name because it's reminiscent of some of the patterning, patterning you may see on heterohelix or English ivy. This is not English ivy. It just kind of looks like it. The foliage does. Um, they're very slow to spread and creep, but they are essentially a ground cover. I don't think that we use these enough. I've never seen them in the horticulture or nursery industry here in our area, but I did come across some seeds one time, and apparently it's very difficult 
for them to grow from seed. They take some stratification. You've got to do this to them. You got to do that to them. And I followed the rule book for growing those seed and I did have some success. Now, early on, a few of those plants died out, but I do have two of them that I actually was able to uh, continue to grow and they've come back reliably year after year for maybe four maybe five years now. And again, they haven't bulked up or grown very much, but I'm noticing that they're starting to spread just a bit. And that's a wonderful thing. For the first time, those seed-grown um, cyclamens grew uh, and, and bloomed, rather. They bloomed this, this, this past mm, fall. It was before Thanksgiving, I guess. And I took as many pictures of those as I possibly could because I think it was just one blossom, but it was a nice pink, nearly sort of heart-like pink flower, and they're very short, really, probably no taller than six inches uh, when they get to a mature size, but they are a good-looking plant. I wouldn't call them evergreen because they disappear over summer, sort of the reverse of deciduous plants like we call them. Most plants have leaves in the spring and summer and then drop them in the winter. Well, this one has its leaves over the cool season, but drops its leaves uh, once it warms up. So cyclamen is a strange, you can find them as bulbs already. You can probably, you'll probably have to find them on an online or mail order nursery. Uh, that's probably the best way to find those cyclamen bulbs, but very cute. They've got to be right up at the front of the border because they're very small plants plants and they will spread and creep they just take their time doing it they do take their time doing it now of course josh some of the maybe standard uh, to answer your question about some nice evergreen ground cover some of the standards that have been held tried and true are going to be the liriopes and the mondo grasses or dwarf mondo grasses now these are evergreen plants with that grassy type texture um, they do come in very dark shades of green but many of these are variegated or there are some varieties that are variegated i do love some of the liriopes that are say variegata which is a variegated variety that has a kind of yellowish and green combination going on on every leaf and then there's some sort of white or ashy uh, variegations which are wonderful in the Liriope world there's one called silver dragon which we are growing at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch Georgia where you can find me throughout the week that one right there is probably one of my favorite Liriopes and I'm relatively new uh, to knowing about the silver dragon Liriope. Now, of course, there's the world of Vinca. Uh, we don't talk about it much because Vinca sort of gets a bad name. It gets a bad rap because there are two main species of Vinca. Now, some people call this ground cover periwinkle. They are both evergreen, but the big leaf Vinca, which is called Vinca major, is known to be quite invasive, kind of like English ivy. So if you're going into the world of vincas, you may strictly want to stick with growing vinca minor, which does mean smaller or lesser. So that would have a smaller leaf, but it still gives you that springtime periwinkle color uh, star-like flower. It is a beautiful flower. They don't last for long, but of course the plant itself does. The leaves on that plant just last on and on and on. So look into Vinca Minor, but maybe stay away from Vinca Major or the big leaf Vincas. One last ground cover, and then we will get to the next question, is going to be Creeping Raspberry. Now, I say Creeping Raspberry is a great plant for winter, even though they drop their leaves at some point. Right now, 
the creeping raspberry maintains their is maintaining their foliage at least at the nursery. Um, they are very well known for great fall color. So right before they start dropping their leaves, the leaves will change to shades of orange, red, yellow, and different colors of green, all on the same leaf. It's very probably the best ground cover with fall color. Really, yeah. I can't think of another great one that has that kind of color display in the fall. So they may or may not have leaves on them in the wintertime, but right before it gets too cold for them, they will start to drop their leaves and give you that great color show. They do have a flower, but it's insignificant, a little white flower, um, which really isn't showy. Uh, but otherwise, throughout the growing season, the leaves are a very dark green, and the texture on those leaves, the leaves are very rough and rugged, sort of bubbly-like, and it really does have just a texture unlike anything else that you've seen in the landscape. So that, of course, is creeping raspberry, and it's a great ground cover. It doesn't necessarily climb like a vine. It just crawls along the ground. So thank you, Josh, for that question about vines and ground covers. We probably don't talk about them enough. I love the fact that in our landscapes, we can add plants to give us vertical interest other than large trees and shrubs. Uh, vines can be more delicate and maybe more um, welcoming to your garden visitors because you can walk underneath them. You can pass by them. They're not really giving you much shade like a large tree would, so they're less obtrusive, if you will. But a lot of times these vines do need a little bit of maintenance and care to make sure they don't take over the world. Uh, be sure you're not using invasive species like Chinese or Japanese wisteria when it comes to vines. Of course, kudzu's out of the question. <laughs> Who would want to grow that? Uh, it is a vine, though. And then, of course, there are some other plants that uh, you may not really want to get too too friendly with in your landscape. All right, so let's move to Instagram. On Instagram, Taylor sent us a question. She is looking for evergreen shrubs for the shade. I know that can be hard anytime we have shade. Sometimes it's a bit daunting trying to find uh, plants that will grow in the shade, but it's not that difficult because there are a world of shrubs that can handle shade, and there's a world of shrubs that really strictly need the shade. If they're placed in bright, hot sun, they may just get smoked up. So, Taylor, I'm glad you brought this up because many times we look at shade as a crisis but I think that shade is an opportunity because of course when you don't have shade there are many plants you can't grow now it is true that in the shade not not uh, not many plants bloom for very long. There are some plants that may repeat bloom, but the sun, of course, always stimulates more energy to encourage plants to rebloom. Uh, talking about my foxgloves uh, earlier today that we're going to have along our vegetable garden borders. A foxglove is a versatile plant. It'll bloom in the shade, it'll bloom in the sun, but it will bloom more in the sun. Well, I'm planting them in the shade on the edge of a woodland. They will probably get maybe no more than six hours of light, but they're still a great choice. Now, that's not a shrub, so I do need to answer Taylor's question about evergreen shrubs for the shade. I always like to start off with a plant we call abelia. Glossia bilia. There's a number of varieties and cultivars out there now. Many of them are green as far as their leaves go. Many of them are variegated now with wonderful variegations on their leaves. Things like kaleidoscope abelia, radiance abelia. I saw one the other day I've never seen before. I think it's called peach perfection, which is supposed to have sort of a peachy colored leaf and also um, sort of surrounding the blossom. 
Abelias do bloom, and they will bloom on new wood, so you can trim them back at any time of the year, and they will regrow and, and bloom. Usually, if left untouched, they're blooming around summer, but a great pollinator plant. They have usually white to pink, maybe sometimes purple, bell-like flowers. Uh, very small, but they're in large clusters, so they're very attractive to pollinators. A great native plant that can handle a good bit of shade is an evergreen as well. This is the inkberry holly. There are several varieties of inkberry holly because generally inkberry holly can get 8 to 10 feet in each direction. <laughs> but with the advances in modern horticulture, if you will, we are finding inkberry hollies that can be just as tall as 2 or 3 feet, which is may, maybe more reasonably spa, um, reasonably heighted. Height, did uh, for smaller landscapes. But inkberry is a wonderful native uh, inkberry holly, and it is a great evergreen. It's got a cool little leaf, too. It's an odd-shaped leaf for a holly. It sort of looks like a, like a mitten, in my opinion. When we get back from this break, more of your questions and more evergreen shrubs for the shade. So hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, of course, today is our Q&A week. If you're just joining us, we are answering your questions. And the question we're in the middle of right now is from Taylor via our Instagram page. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and NewSouthernGarden.com. And she's wanting to know what are some good evergreen shrubs for the shade. I love talking about evergreens over winter because, of course, that helps us to give some structure and interest in our gardens when... A lot of plants don't have leaves <laughs> uh, over winter time. So before the break, we talked about the abelia, the glossy abelias, which are awesome and come in a range of colors. And many of them are going to be a manageable size of three, maybe five feet. And the inkberry holly, which is a great native holly for your landscape. It can be a good host plant, I understand, but also it's a good evergreen that can handle a good bit of shade. Now the anise, the anise Sometimes we call it anise tree, um, or elysium is its botanical name, but these have very elongated, broad leaves uh, that are a brighter green usually. Some are darker. There's one called forest green anise, which is a, a darker green, but really they are a bright, happy green. And there are some varieties of anise, like the Florida sunshine anise, which is chartreuse, and in the sun, it's very yellow, but it can handle the deepest shade you've got. And the beauty of anise, well, this is how it gets its common name at least, is that it, when the leaves are crushed, 
it smells like anise or licorice. It's not true anise, not the culinary or herbal anise plant, but it has a fragrance, the leaf does, that reminds you of licorice, and that usually keeps the deer away. So we rarely see deer browsing on anise. The fact that it's evergreen, grows in the shade, and is usually deer resistant, makes it a wonderful candidate for our southern gardens. Now, how about Leucothoe? Leucothoe, there's some native varieties and some non-natives too, but they are these very kind of sprawling shrubs that grow with underground suckers and stems, and I absolutely love them. They bloom with like a blueberry flower, if you're familiar with those little bell-shaped white flowers that blueberries present, or maybe um, Pieris, which is a Japanese plant. That, of course, can grow in the shade as well. But this Leucothoe has a very similar blossom. It's evergreen, and usually deer don't care for it. But, you know, that's something that uh, sort of left to be determined on a case-by-case -case basis. Now, tea olive. Tea olives are very large shrubs. These are the osmanthus group of plants. They can be quite large, and there are some, culti uh, rather some species like the heterophyllus. Um, there's one called goshiki, which is a Japanese term for five colors because it's variegated with really pinks and yellows and greens, and it's really a gorgeous plant. But no matter which tea olive you go for, they are very resistant to shade. They can handle the shade. They just get large. Uh, you can trim them and keep them pruned, but they're a great plant if you're looking to screen a shady border or something like that. If you've got a pesky neighbor through the woods, but you can still see them because the trees are bare in the winter, you could line that property border with these tea olives under trees and let them grow and be big and chunky. And of course, of course, the biggest attraction for tea olive, other than its evergreenness, is that they have a fragrant blossom and usually they are blooming in the fall time around October but we see blooms happening on and off through winter and when you walk by in the afternoon when things are kind of warm you will smell this sweet tea olive fragrance it's wonderful a last plant that I want to mention as far as evergreen shrubs is actually a viburnum most viburnums are not evergreen but there is this one particular viburnum called the Prague viburnum which can be 10 foot tall it's a good screen and it is a heavy bloomer it blooms in the early spring I think it's got gorgeous uh, leaves because they're sort of uh, curled at the edges downwards so they're they give you this cool texture they're elliptical very longer than they are wide and um, the blossom show in the spring is just spectacular. When I drive through town, I pass this business that I don't know if they know they have Prague viburnum growing um, in their front bed, but it's just one plant. It may be a group of two or three, but it looks like one plant, very large. And when it's in bloom in the spring, it is just to die for. It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. So I hope, Taylor, that this short list... Uh, that the short list of blooming, uh, sorry, evergreen shrubs for the shade helps you make that shady site just as beautiful as it possibly can be. Well, I know we don't have much time, but we have lots to do. So I do want to get one more question in here from Carrie, who contacted us via Facebook message. Uh, in summary, she wants to force some bulbs to bloom indoors. Now, forcing is a term we use in horticulture that uh, really tells us, or rather says, we're trying to get a plant to do something that it normally wouldn't do at a certain time. 
So forcing bulbs indoors is where we're trying to get a bulb. Maybe it's a jonquil, a daffodil, if you will. Maybe it's paper whites. Maybe it's amaryllis. We're trying to get these bulbs to bloom out of season so we can enjoy them indoors or for some other reason. And really, right now, as you go through the box stores and your garden centers, you may see these kits for amaryllis and paper whites and maybe some kind of daffodil. And these kits are intended to be used to encourage a, a, a bulb to produce leaves and bloom out of season. So if you want to force these bulbs, maybe for the new year, uh, you can't do it in two days, but it'll be right after the new year, you need to plant them in December at some time. And when we say plant, um, you can, with say paper whites, you can plant them in soil, uh, maybe top the top off the very top of the pot with pebbles. Um, and you've got, you can also put them in a decorative container. It could be glass jar, it could be a vase. Uh, you can use pebbles to secure the bulbs in this glass jar where you're not really using soil. And you can fill that pot or vase or glass jar up with water, but don't cover the very top one quarter inch of the bulb. And then whether you've put them in soil or put them in a jar with pebbles and water, you do want to keep those bulbs in a cool spot with maybe dim light. Give them just basically darkness, you know, outdoors in a garage, maybe a crawl space, wherever it can be cool, uh, wherever it can be fairly dim, maybe a spare uh, refrigerator. You know, you don't want to freeze these bulbs, but you can put them in very cool temperatures like they would be if they had been planted outside all winter. And uh, you can wait until they put up three or four inches of stems or leaves. And then at that point, bring them into a bright room like a sunroom, a very sunny window, and as they grow, just move them to the sunniest window you have. So what we're trying to do is give these plants, these bulbs, the same conditions they would have outdoors, which would be moisture, uh, whether it's in uh, pebbles and water or whether you plant them directly into a pot of soil with maybe a few pebbles on top. We're going to water them in. Uh, we're going to put them in the dark because they would be planted underground in the dark and we're also going to chill them down we're going to bring them down to sort of 30s you know if we can get that low of temperatures because that will stimulate them to think that they are experiencing winter so when we bring them into the house where it may be 60 to 70 degrees and of course we are letting things get warmed up giving them some light that's going to encourage them to start growing, and then we can force them to bloom. I think forcing is a wonderful thing because we can enjoy the bulbs on our terms, not just let nature have everything. Well, gang, thank you for joining me for New Southern Garden today, our QR episode, and of course, the last show of the year. We're so glad that you've decided to join us. We hope that we see you soon, and hey, I'll see you next year. This is Nathan Wilson for WRWH and New Southern Garden. Stay well, grow well, and happy new year. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.